Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. So we are coming into land today on our All One series. We originally thought this series might run for nine weeks, but with the quality of the speakers, we feel we've covered all the areas we want to cover for the moment. I just want to publicly thank Steve and Lynn Burnhope and Dana Roll and James Pickin for giving their time and support to help us. And their perspectives and their stories have been invaluable in helping us gain a new perspective on what it means to be a fully affirming church. Since we began this series, Simon and I have had so much encouragement from many of you who are part of this church family who are excited and relieved at the direction we are taking. From gay and straight people who have known us for years, from church leaders who've been given the courage to take this journey with their own church and want to know more. But also many people who don't know us from near and far who have taken the time to send a message and thank us for stepping out. Simon attended a Churches Together meeting this week and the local ministers were really supportive and they said they, felt, they, said that they felt resourced having been watching our talks along with us. They thanked us for the time and effort we've put into this series and for having the courage to do it. A number of them already hold an affirming position and they thought it was wonderful to see a charismatic church like Riverside becoming inclusive. However, we have said from the beginning that we recognise and understand that this is a difficult topic to talk about and that there are a whole range of thoughts and feelings about our direction as a church. Some of you will feel disappointed. Some of you will think that we've lost our way and you don't know what to do next. This morning, I want to reaffirm that that is okay. We are not here as church leaders to tell you what you should or shouldn't be thinking or what you should do. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome, encourages all followers of Jesus to take individual responsibility for their own faith journey. He says, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And you can read more about that in Romans chapter 12 if you want to. We have to think and reflect on our personal faith for every aspect of our Christian lives. We can't delegate this to someone else or to the church. We can't abdicate the responsibility to prayerfully engage with this or any other area of our Christian discipleship. As a leadership team, we did this work over two years and each one of us arrived at their own measure of faith for inclusion, some more and some less. But collectively... That measure was enough that we had to live in accordance with it, which meant moving Riverside to become an affirming church. I want to pick up on a phrase that Nick Burdock used in the video that we showed last week. Following the death of Lizzie Lowe, Nick talked about his church community adopting a place of yielded consensus. Nick said that even though people still held different views, the policy of the church was one of full inclusion and the church community had decided to live by that. Nick wrote this article on why he and and Liz's parents had chosen to make the video. 
Last autumn, as I was running with the river on my right and the field where Lizzie died on my left, I noticed a rock sticking out of the water and how the river had no choice but to part as it found its way blocked by that solid object. Lizzie's story is like that rock. There is no way through it. You have to go around it. It's immovable and solid because it's true and there is no way to simply ignore it. I felt convicted that Lizzie's story had to be told and retold because the church at large has to be confronted by its stance on inclusion. Some may wish to pass the story on, on the left and some on the right. Lizzie's death will divide people into those who take the path of inclusion and those who entrench their views in the other direction. But my responsibility is simply to tell the story, whatever the consequences. As a church, we have chosen which side we want to pass. And for us, that is to become a fully inclusive and affirming place of worship. You may not have decided which side you want to pass yet. You may need to adopt a place of yielded consensus, trusting that God has you in the right family, trusting that he will make things clearer for you in the future. We will all need to grow in grace together as we move into the future as a church. When we started this series, some of you came and asked us about its impact on us being part of the Vineyard movement. So let's talk about that. Just to give you a bit of history for some of you who may not know, Simon and I were called out of the Vineyard movement by the Holy Spirit to come and be with you here in Whitstable in 2015. We left being associate pastors at Birmingham Vineyard to become lead pastors of Riverside Church. At the point we arrived, Riverside was an independent church, but with strong relational links to the other churches in the town through churches together in Whitstable. During 2017, we explored what it would look like for Riverside to become part of a bigger church movement. And after journeying this for about a year as a church, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit to become part of the Vineyard movement. So in May 2018, Riverside became Riverside Vineyard. And here you can see Nick and Chris Kimmons, our Vineyard Dairy leaders, praying for us on May the 13th. During our time in Vineyard, Simon and I have made many friends. We joined a house group that grew and became one of the first vineyards in the country in the early 90s. We have worked as lay leaders, church planters, senior leaders, associate leaders and area leaders. We've had the joy of launching ministries, starting churches and equipping hundreds of people to minister and serve their communities. And we hugely value the vineyard movement, but a key thing for us throughout our whole ministry has always been, what is God saying? We've always tried to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. God has led us to support new churches and he's led us to plant our own church. He's led us to lay down that ministry to support others. And in more recent years, he's led us to come and serve you lovely people. Whenever God has led us, he has always led us to people. He moved us from the church that we helped to start to plant a new church, which helped to serve people addicted to drugs. And he moved us from that church back to our sending church a few years later to work with people across the vineyard movement to serve those who come to Birmingham's nightlife and to help people as far away as Malawi. And he moved us from Birmingham to Whitstable to serve you, to see ministries like Grow Baby launch, to work with people like Andy, who we support in prison, and to create a space that is good for everyone. God has always moved us to people. 
And we are utterly convinced in our spirits that God is now moving us to minister to the LGBT community and beyond. To be a church that goes beyond inclusion, to celebrate and affirm every person, not discriminating against anyone for any reason, in any way. James spoke last week of starting a revolution by extending hospitality to create a space where we can all come to the table, acknowledging everyone's God-given ability and dignity. We believe as a leadership team that this is our next move. But to become a fully affirming and inclusive church puts us at odds with the, vineyard, with the vineyard's current position on inclusivity and marriage. As I've already stated, we hugely value and respect the vineyard movement. But at Riverside, we are being moved by the Holy Spirit. And with all integrity, we can't ignore that leading. So while still honouring and respecting our brothers and sisters in Christ, we will be leaving the vineyard movement. This process will be taking place over the coming weeks and going forward we will simply be known as Riverside Church. I just want to read your communication from the Vineyard leadership team. We understand with sadness your decision and would like to convey to you and your congregation our continued love and prayers for you all as you make disciples and serve Whitstable and the surrounding community. The Vineyard has been home to many of you for years and as fellow members of the Body of Christ, we will continue to be family after your withdrawal from the movement. Thank you for all your hard work and service. As you leave, we release you from the Vineyard with great affection. Some of you may be worried about a loss of oversight or accountability being an independent church, but can I assure you we have the necessary structures and people in place to maintain the highest level of integrity within Riverside. We have an excellent group of leaders and trustees who work continually to ensure that Riverside is safe, legal and fully compliant um, and accountable to you with all the appropriate statutory bodies. And you can ask us about that at any time. We aren't isolated as a church and we're not going to become isolated. We have excellent relationships with the other church leaders in the town and beyond that, many other gifted friends and leaders who are with us for the journey. We do want to thank you all for trusting us, even if it's hard for you right now. We encourage you to stay and be part of the church family that is following hard after God and pursuing his will for our lives in this day. So as Keely said... We wholeheartedly believe that God always moves us to people. He moves us to people. And we want to keep responding to that moving. Jesus told a parable about people moving towards or away from people. He was once confronted by an expert in the law. And this expert wanted to test him, as many people did when they encountered Jesus. And he asked Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And you can read more about this in Luke's Gospel in chapter 10 if you want to. Now Jesus always tends to know what was behind the question, what was the motive. And he he looked at this man and he guessed this man was really trying to pin him down legally, trying to catch him out. So he said to the man, well how do you read it? How do you read it? Because you're an expert in the law. How do you understand what God's law is trying to convey? And the man seemingly responds well. 
He says this. He sums up the commandments by saying this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. So seemingly a great answer from somebody who is an expert in God's law. And Jesus says, yeah, good answer. Do this and you will live. Now notice Jesus doesn't say do this and you will go to heaven. He says do this and you will live. And Jesus seems to make no distinction between living now and living eternally. For Jesus it seems to be a continuum. Because if you love God and you love your neighbour, you're going to find life now and you're going to find life eternally. But the man's understanding seems to be limited by his legal framework. And he's not satisfied with Jesus' answer. He wants to know. He wants to justify himself. So he asks the question, who is my neighbour? And I mentioned in my talk a couple of weeks ago, we tend, as humans, to try and find the limits of God's love, the limits or the boundaries of how far we need to go to fully fit in with God, to fully express his love. And this man is no different. Clearly, he wants to fulfil the requirements of the law, and clearly he doesn't want to waste time loving somebody who's not his neighbour. So he wants to justify himself. Now, Jesus, being Jesus, often doesn't answer a question directly. What he does, he tells a story. It's a story many of you are familiar with. He says this, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. As Jesus begins to tell this story, they would have known that the man travelling was a Jewish man. He was a Jewish man travelling down on this lonely road from Jerusalem to Jericho, about 17 miles in wild hill country, a place where you could often be attacked if you were travelling alone. The man would have been an easy target for these robbers. And the man is attacked and he's left half dead. And then Jesus says, along comes a priest. Now, the listeners of this story would have thought, here's a man of God, here's somebody who's clearly going to help this poor man who's fallen into these difficult circumstances. A priest had a duty of care, a duty of care to extend God's love to someone like this. He sees the man lying injured and helpless by the side of the road. There's a problem. For the priest, if he goes and touches a dead person, he becomes ceremonially unclean. And this man clearly looks half dead. So if he goes over to him and kind of checks and touches him, and he is dead, then the priest has made himself ceremonially unclean. That's a problem for him. He's got to deal with that, but through all sorts of cleansing rituals. And so... Better to move away from the man than actually come into contact with somebody who is dead. So the priest in the story decides to preserve his godly purity rather than showing loving kindness. And rather than moving towards the man, he moves away from the man. And what would be even more sort of, sort of strange for the listeners was that this, this road that this man was on was a narrow road and probably bordered on one side by sheer cliffs. So literally the man would almost have to step over this man to get past him and move on in his duties. The priest walks on, and the listeners must have thought, wow. But then Jesus says, along comes a Levite. 
And the listeners must have thought, fantastic, another man of God, a man who's clearly going to demonstrate love to this person, and a person you'd expect to reach out and help somebody in need. But he too saw the man, and he too decided not to get involved. And he too moves away from the man rather than moves towards him. So this poor, half-dead man has struck out twice with two religious people who've come and passed him by. Now at this point, Jesus' audience would expect average Jewish layperson to come along, a poke in the eye for the religious establishment. He's the person who's going to help. But Jesus drops a bomb in the form of a Samaritan. A Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. There had been deep-rooted enmity between the Samaritans and the Jews for hundreds and hundreds of years. A deep-rooted bitterness. Both sides believed they were the rightful inheritance of the patriarchs. Both believed they they were going to inherit the promises of God from Abraham and Moses. Both sides believed they had rightful possession of the land. Both sides thought they were right. Sound familiar? And to compound things, the Jews thought the Samaritans had sold out by marrying non-Jews. They'd become less than Jews. They'd sold out, so they were despised even more by the Jewish people. So to hear a Samaritan introduced into the story would have been a devastating blow for the Jewish listeners, because it's the Samaritan man who moves to help the injured man. Jesus didn't focus on who was right. He focused on who was in need. He says a Samaritan not only saw the man, but he moved to help him. And Jesus puts a finger on the difference between seeing and moving. There's a difference between knowing about something and moving to make a difference in that situation. The priest and the Levite and the Samaritan, they all saw the man, but only the Samaritan moved towards him. The priest and the Levite moved away. The priest and the Levite felt justified on religious grounds not to extend love to the injured man. Just like the lawyer who came and said, what must I do? You know, who is my neighbour? How can I justify the limits or extent of my love? Jesus had pinned this man with this story. The Samaritan who had grown up in the midst of this bitter feud for hundreds of years had the most justification not to help the injured Jew. But he was the one who moved towards him. He was the one who extended love. He's the man who moves to help. The priest and the Levite move away. The Samaritan moves toward. And you can only imagine the implications for Jesus' listeners. And the, and the lawyer listening to this story. They must have been devastated that it was a Samaritan who moved to help in Jesus' story. Not a good Jew. But Jesus goes on to drive the point home. And he goes on in great detail to describe just how much this man was prepared to love. He said, He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. The Samaritan gives the Jewish man first aid. He, he tends to his wounds, he cleanses them, he, 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 he binds the man up. And then he gets off his own transport and puts the man on his own donkey. He walks 
And the man goes on the donkey and he takes him to a place of safety, a place of healing. He spares no resources to help the man fully recover. And the two denarii in the story would probably have paid for two months' board at the inn. Two months' board at the inn the man was prepared to pay. Whatever it costs to restore the man to full health. And not only that, he said, when I come back, if you've incurred any more expenses, I'll cover those as well. There's no limits to the love the Samaritan is prepared to show the Jewish man, even though he's utterly justified in not helping him at all. So Jesus doesn't answer the question, does he? He doesn't answer the question of, you know, who is my neighbour? He pins the man's heart and he pins the man's motive. And he asks him a question in return. And he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the lawyer knows there can only be one answer to that question. And he says, it's the one who had mercy on him. In trying to justify his understanding of the law of love, the man of law had completely missed the point. Jesus wasn't bringing a new way of interpreting legalistic law. He was bringing an end to it. He was demonstrating the extent of God's love. We're so familiar, aren't we, with the term Good Samaritan. It's become almost cliche to us. We lose the power of this story when Jesus first told it. It's lost on us. But you can reframe this story into any modern context. You can sit here this morning and think about any person that you wouldn't cross the road to help. Any prejudice or bias that you carry which would stop you crossing the road to help somebody. Who would you avoid showing love to? Who would you try and justify avoid showing love to? Because that's the issue. Jesus says we all carry in our hearts justifications for not to love. But actually God's love goes beyond anything we carry. God's love is the limitless love. So the lawyer had asked, who is my neighbour? But Jesus faced him with the question, who am I, who are you being a neighbour to? Who are you showing God's love to? Who are you moving towards to love? And when faced with a pair of this story, I'm sure the man of law wanted to shrink back into the crowd because he must have thought, well, how on earth did the priest or the Levite demonstrate the law of God's love. When all that had happened is their ceremonial purity had kept them from moving towards someone in love. They felt justified in their actions. But the Samaritan, who had the most justification to move away, moved towards. And this is the real power of the story. Jesus said, it's you, you need to go and imitate him. Don't imitate the priest. Don't imitate the Levite. You imitate the Samaritan, the man who moves towards to love. I guarantee you that everyone God wants to move you towards to love, you will not possibly like. You will have prejudice. You will have bias. You will have justifications as to why you shouldn't move towards that person to love them. If we'd have told you when we first arrived, we'll be supporting a man who tried to shoot somebody with a gun on a Sunday afternoon in a park in Whitstable. 
you would think we were mad. Andy, we currently support in prison because we believe his direction of travel is the right direction. We believe he's found Jesus. We believe there's redemption and restoration for him. And many of you are on his phone list and many of you support him through phone calls week in, week out. God moves us towards people to love them. If a Samaritan can save the life of a Jew, then surely God's kingdom of God is coming upon the earth. That's the point of Jesus' story. Surely the kingdom of love is coming upon the earth when a Samaritan can save an injured Jew. God's story supersedes the limitations of our justifications and our prejudices. In fact, his story exposes the barrenness of legalism and religiosity. It shows the limits of it. Jesus is very good at exposing these things in story. It's not the priest or the Levite we're told to imitate, but the good Samaritan, the outcast Samaritan. He's the one who moves to love. He's the one who shows what love really looks like. And if God is truly reconciling all people to himself, and I believe he is through Jesus Christ, then we're going to get closer and closer to a lot of people that are not like us, aren't we? If we're being reconciled towards God, then we're going to be reconciled towards one another at the same time. We're going to get closer to each other as we get closer to God. And so, guys, we need to search our hearts. Search our hearts and look at the justifications that we carry as to why we shouldn't love certain people. Because God is reconciling all people to himself. In the book of Revelation, the Apostle John records a vision of heaven. The end of all things, the end of time. And he writes this. He said, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every tribe and nation, people and language standing before the throne of God. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. The Greek word is ethnos. Every ethnicity present before God at the end of time, worshipping him. God moves us towards people in love because he's moving all people towards himself in love. This is the end of all things. The summary of all things is us gathered together in the love of God. We entitled this series All One when we started it, and I believe this is a revelation of what All One looks like ultimately in the future. Every type of person present before God, worshipping him, experiencing his love. Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Go and imitate the Good Samaritan. Go and show love to those who don't deserve love. Go and show love to maybe people you have enmity with or are outcasts. Go and show love. We're called to go and show love without limits to everyone. I'm so grateful to Patsy who sent me an article last week from the Lutheran Seminary. It was written back in 1994, but it could have been written yesterday. It reads in such a contemporary way, and it's entitled A New Word on homosexuality. And I was struck by these powerful words written all the way back in the mid-90s. He says this, 
A new word on homosexual relations would also have to be a prophetic word on heterosexual relations, calling all Christians to a life that testifies to the surprising presence of Christ in the world. We are all called to live as if we've encountered the surprising presence of Christ in our lives. That's what God calls all people to. That's what a disciple is. I love that, that idea of a community of people, a diverse community, living as if they encountered the surprising presence of Christ. If Jesus is really present in our lives, then his love will move you and move me to do incredible things. We want to be a people, don't we, who keep responding to his leading and his moving. So as we move forward, what will be different and what will be the same? I want you to touch into that this morning briefly as we finish. What will be different? Our name will be different. We'll be called just Riverside Church. Strange enough, we kept the old sign, but we're not going to talk about this one. <laughs> we'll have a clear statement on inclusion on our website and our publicity. We'll make it very clear that we are an inclusive place for everyone that we don't have any glass ceilings, we don't show discrimination towards anyone who comes to be part of the Riverside family. We'll make that very clear. We'll register as an inclusive church, which means that anybody out there who wants to find a church that shows no discrimination can use the web to find us. So we'll register with the Inclusive Church, which is a great organisation with a great statement around inclusivity for everybody and anybody. And we'll be a church that celebrates and affirms every person not discriminating against anyone in any way. Now, I know Kitty talks about yielded consensus, but I want you to promise me that if you stay in Riverside Church, you will live this way. I do not want to hear of anybody showing discrimination towards anyone who comes into this building, because if they do, then I will have a word with you. I'm sorry. But this needs to be a place of love and acceptance and safety. You may have a different view in your heart, but I don't want you expressing that view to a person directly. Is that okay? Because we want to be a place of safety for all people so we can gather around the presence of God. What will be the same? Our vision to bring transformation to the coastlands will still be the same. Our vision of being good for everyone will still be the same. Our vision and belief that the presence of Jesus in people's lives that makes the difference will be the same. And our practice of serving one another with love, grace and generosity will be the same. So, it's the same, but greater. It's the same, but reaching out to more people. It's the same, but sending a clear message to everyone who wants to come to Riverside. You'll find a place of safety and acceptance here, where you can do business with God, like we all want to. If you have any questions on any of the detail of this, you can come and see the team or come and see Keely and I at the end. We want to thank you guys for taking this journey with us. And I know for some of you, it may mean after today, you think we can't journey any further. And that's also absolutely okay. Relationally, we want to stay connected with you. We love you and affirm you too in your place of difference. But we need to create a space for people to come. And I believe God is calling us to champion this space and he's calling us to create a space where we really can be good for everyone. So why don't we stand together as we finish? So if you're able, sorry, stand.
If you're not, please stay seated. Let's just pray as we bring this series into a, a close. I started with these Lego people weeks ago and they've journeyed with us and I still love them because they're a simple expression of an ideal that maybe one day in the future we can be a place, that the whole earth can be a place where everyone is accepted for who they are in their God-given dignity. And when the guy made these simple Lego figures, that's what they were trying to display. That's what they're trying to embody, an ideal, a vision of a different future. So Lord, we just thank you for your presence here today. We thank you, God, that we're all different. Every single one of us is unique in our God-given image, God. And Lord, I just pray for this church going forward, God, that we could be a place of safety. I thank you that you move us and you will continue to move us towards people in love. Help us to go above and beyond what we think are the limits of that love. Help us to be so generous to display your love that we truly bring transformation to our coastlands. That people really do talk about Riverside as a place of generous love. So God, just pray for your work in all of our lives. And I do pray for that that resting, God, that we all need to do, to live up to the measure of faith that you give to, us all, give to us all, God. Let us respond to that wrestling and let us come to a place where we're settled in our spirits, God. I ask this in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside. <laughs>